Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this, the last episode of 2022. And we're going to close it out with the Gulby Keith's film pick of the week, Mad Heidi, directed by Johan Hartman and Sandro Klopstein. So we're going to be talking about that later on in the show. Uh, as a programming note, we are not going to be joined by the Mad Monkey or the Demonic Dean, but you have us together, <clears throat> the ghoul, the bold and the beautiful, the Gulby Keith. Yes, oh fabulous Swiss leader. Of course, we are all here today to celebrate the final show of the year. The year has ended, and here we are at Talking Terror to bring the chills, riddles, and humor to you so much. So, my wonderful Swiss leader, you. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Once for the last Welcome time of 2022, to Talking Terror. The last time. The last episode of the year, uh, there's a lot of Swiss cheese coming up later on in the show with Mad Heidi, so stay tuned for that. He is not kidding like when, when he talks in that voice. And ultra Swiss cheese. <clears throat> so, yes, yeah, like I said, it's just, <laughs> it's just the ghoul and I. I have a countdown of the top ten movies, uh, and I have a title picked out by Marie herself. She's been working hard on this title, and she finally gave it to me, so I'll reveal that in just a little bit. Uh, but, Ghoul, I want to turn it to you first uh, as we get into my countdown. Uh, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit because it's just us, so I'm kind of happy we can do this. So what were some movies this year that you did like, that you did enjoy horror-wise, and what are some that kind of fell by the wayside, some that you're like, eh, nope, I saw it, but I didn't like, quite like it? You know, King, I wish I could be like, man, I saw this, and I saw that, and I like this, and I like that. But so much shit become such a blur for this poor, <laughs> adult brain of mine. And in between goose shows and gummies and everything else that I do, <laughs> I only have, like, the vaguest of recollections of some of the stuff that, you know, I, I, I have actually, like, taken into, into my mind. Um, I guess, you know, like, if I was to sit there and say, like, hey, what was, like, a high point? For me, this year, as far as uh, horror films go, um, and uh, even even films in general, uh, I, I would want I want to say that my my favorite film of 2022, as far as horror movies went, would be none other than X. I uh, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that film a lot, and uh, I thought it was a good time. It's it's working within within a genre in a genre that I adore and love, you know, because as, as I'm sure anybody that yeah. knows me knows that I, I love pornography. So, you know, when you take <laughs> pornography and you shake it up and put it in a horror movie, well, hell, the ghoul is fucking on board, baby. Oh, hell yeah. Now, that, that was a highlight for me, and it's, it's on my list. 
So we'll be talking about that. Um, <clears throat> so, like I said, were there any that didn't land with you? Um, a couple that I could throw at you title-wise that I thought were, eh, like, not that great. Um, I would say Scream 5, you know, we covered it on the show. It was good, not great. Um, you know, it was, it, we're getting a sixth one in March, so that could be exciting. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was a fucking massacre of a movie. I mean, that was really bad. Uh, I don't know what they were trying to do. It didn't really yeah, quite agree with me. Um, yeah, it's weird, yeah, man. You know, there's, there's, like this, there's this weird love for that movie, too, man. You know, and, uh, enough, and, yeah. and I remember what... When we covered it for the show, and again, listen, everything's always subjective. It always is. It's true, mm-hmm. and I get it. And everything, everything that comes out to some extent is a product of its time. Um, I don't know. Like I said, like you know, for me, like I, I just see the original Texas Chainsaw as just being such a a standalone film, and in my mind and in my heart, that is it's similar to like the Halloween movie. You know, the original 78 film is the only one that you have to see. You know, the other ones are like, yeah, if you want to see him, go ahead. You can enjoy, you know, the the sequel in which, you know, she's his sister. And, you know, the H2O where they did kind of continue that but eliminated other things. Um, You know, you can take four and five and let's have fun with, you know, with the niece of this whole alternate fucking universe and everything. And then even the latest ones. Yeah. you know, bringing that back to the to the list, but like you know, Halloween ends. You know, for me, yeah. was like a <laughs> as far as like, wow, man, that really did not achieve. And I don't want to say it didn't achieve my expectations because I kind of went in with fairly low expectations, and yet somehow, somehow, they they still managed to like burrow this little hole, and we're like, hey, you know, we can take this even fucking lower, buddy. Oh yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of went into Halloween ends with just kind of tempered expectations. We knew that it was going to be the end. It was the wrap of this trilogy by David Gordon Green. But like when we all walked out of it, it was just kind of, wow, like that's okay. So you're going to introduce a brand new character in your finale and it's just going to be about him. So uh, just such a poor choice. I mean, I think it might've been you that said it like previously on the show where 2018 was kind of supposed to be like a standalone film, but then the studio was like, Hey, let's pump out two more. And the writers were like, well, we don't really have more. Like, that's it. But they ended up making two more. Like, Halloween Kills is a filler movie. It added nothing. We've got money. It just was a kill movie. Oh, yeah. It made money. It sure did. And But, again, they only oh, no, had no, enough no, for no, one man, movie. This is what they said to them. You know, they were like, yeah, well, again, <laughs> if you remember, everything in 2018 was, oh, no, this is its own movie. Oh, no, we're not planning any sequels. Oh, no, this is a direct sequel to the original film, and this movie is going to be exactly where it starts and ends, and that's going to be that. And we're not, we're not planning any other sequels or, or anything of that nature. And then, ho, oh, boom, you know, money. We made money. And, I mean, we said it on the show. We knew that if mm-hmm. the movie ended up making money, we were going to get sequels. Now, now, whether the quality of said sequels was, was anything good, uh, you know, we, we see. We see what we get. I will still take Halloween Kills over Halloween Ends. Uh, I oh, do find that, uh, you know, going back to it, even with all of its silliness and, and the constant 
yeah, if you just removed all the evil dies tonight chance from that <laughs> damn fucking movie, it probably really wouldn't be all that terrible. Um, but there were there were some fun kills, there were some fun fun moments in it, and uh, and yeah, you know what they they didn't introduce an entirely brand new character to uh, to not to not give you anything with. Didn't need to, didn't need to, and that's the thing. Yeah, I, comparatively, I would much rather watch Kills again than Ends, because at least Kills is kind of just playing on the fact that it knows that it's a filler movie, that they could just have fun with the kills, and you're probably not going to like a lot of the characters, but it doesn't matter. Like nothing in this movie matters. So, like you know, there's going to be a third one. So it's like, yeah, this just doesn't matter. Like you can just watch it like that. But whereas Ends is kind of like, okay, so we're going to introduce a brand new character, and he's going to be like Michael and. It was kind of trying to give us what we've always wanted, like a movie without Michael in it, and it's another person, but the character was so fucking bad that it just it didn't work. Like, Corey wasn't built up enough to be able to put on the mask of Michael and go on a killing spree. No, well, that's, that's why he didn't. He got his ass kicked by Lori. <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't matter. Didn't matter no. at all. Well, uh, you know, you know what was a fun one this year, uh, and surprising okay. because you know this was a a non theatrical movie. This was a straight streaming service uh, on Hulu, which was Prey. You know, the uh, the, the yeah. prequel to Predator was a a fun little surprise this year. It was, and I like the fact that people are like, you know what? I didn't like the Predator, but I like Prey. That's because it did something different. It changed up the story a little bit. You know, they put it into a different environment, and that's what I really liked about it, that the, the kills were still fun, the Predator was still fun, but it was in a completely different environment. You know, and it kind of felt like its own thing. Like, it's not trying to play up the Predator vibe. So, yeah, one of those yeah. movies. And there's another I mean, one on my list at the Hulu release, too. It, it, it helps that they, they gave you a, a better set of characters to work with. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I watched The Predator not too long ago. And uh, yeah. within the last few months. And I, I didn't make it through the whole film. I ended up falling asleep. It was one of those. It was late night. I put it on. But I ended up watching a little bit more than I actually had expected to. And really, what I think kind of fell flat with The Predator is they went for such a comedic oh, angle. Yeah. You know, like the, mm-hmm. the banter between the characters skewed way too much towards the funny. Like, hey, we're going to be funny. Now, look, I get it. You watch the first Predator movie, and there's banter between those characters that is funny. Yeah. But it's not, mm-hmm. it's not humor. Of course. It's yeah. the banter between soldiers who you felt knew each other for a long period of time and were busting each other's balls accordingly. You know, so when you had Mac and Wayne kind of like giving each other like side eye because, you know, deep down those two guys like each other that much. They know they got each other's backs, And we're going to see that when Blaine gets a fucking hole blown in his chest and Mac goes fucking completely ballistic. You know, mm-hmm. when, when, when Mac is fucking with Hawkins in the movie, you know, and, and, and he's messing with uh with Carl Weathers' character, you know, with the whole Scorpion and everything. Like, there's all these little humorous digs and moments that happen in the movie Predator 
but none of them are, are forced because the writing is so good and the performances are so good by those, those, those action-style stars of the 80s that it doesn't come off as silly. And that's where I really think The Predator kind of failed. Now, again, it's fluff. It really is. When you want to yeah. watch fucking, you know, a movie, eat popcorn and, you know, fucking shit in your diaper and all that shit, go ahead. Put on The Predator. Have fun with it. I, yeah. I like the fact that Prey tried to get back to the roots of what that movie was, the original film. Let's, let's take yeah. it back a little bit. We're going to play with some of the origin shit and try to deliver a, a horror movie for the, the Predator again. And, and going back to what I was saying about Scream 5, I kind of felt the same thing. The writing was just kind of off with that movie. Where it's like they tried way too hard to make it way too smart. Like the, the constant winking at the camera type stuff. Like I didn't like the whole thing about, well, we're in a requel now and everything is like the same, but it's really not. It's going back to the first one. It's like they were just trying way too hard to kind of do the simplicity of like that first movie. Of how just smart it was and how savvy it was for horror fans. And this one was just kind of shoving it in your face. Like we all know horror movies and we all love them and that's, that, that's what we need to follow. And it's it was just, it wasn't good. Like, I didn't like any of the characters. Like, we were so far removed from that first movie where none of the characters in Scream 5 worked for me. I didn't care for any of them. I mean, they could die at any time, and I wouldn't mind. Uh, uh, I mean, I did not hate them as much as you did, but I do get what you're saying. You know, the, the franchise is, is founded upon being meta, Upon being so smart, you know, the original Scream is all about the winks and nods and all the, the commentary and the people within the horror movie kind of realizing that they're in a horror movie. Um, but you know what? I mean, here's the thing. If we're going to continue the franchise, that is the natural path. I guess, of the franchise, if you really think about it. Um, yeah. You know, as each subsequent sequel went, I mean, think about it. The third movie literally was a movie within the movie. Oh, and and yeah. the, the franchise has always <laughs> had, like, these, these, these extras in there. So, like, I, I just didn't find myself hating it or, or feeling that lousy about it. But at the same time, too, look, it obviously has not stuck in my head enough for me to really remember it all that much. So, you know, if they're, they're, let's, uh, again, you know, obviously you're going to get to your list, and we're going we're gonna to be hitting those, those, those ten films. I know, I know I got to see it, so okay. I already know, I already know <laughs> your list. I just, uh, you, you know, do. I, I had all, all the intention in the world to watch those five films that I didn't see, and I got to absolutely none of them. Oh, you know what? I, I apologize. I'm going to call that. So the, I know you called it, man, but you know what? Again, I had every intention to, to get to it. I just, the holidays got away with me. And, you know, I'll be honest, I did a lot of sitting on my ass and not accomplishing <laughs> anything for about two whole days because I don't even know why. I can't even tell you because, you know what? I wasn't working and I wasn't doing anything else. And, yeah, I think I was like fiddling with my dick, and that's about it. Well, that's fine. <laughs> that's what I say on the show all the time. You guys aren't like me. Like, I, I fucking go in there every year, and I'm like, I got to find these movies, and I got to watch all of these, and I'm doing, like, five a day when I'm not working. And I'm like, this is just fucking too much, but I got to get it because I got to do the list. Um, you know, so, yeah, I was constantly working towards I knew you weren't going to do it, but at the same time, you know, we'll do the countdown just a little bit. But, yeah, uh, with Screen 6, I'm kind of hopeful 
that it might be fun. I mean, I'm still kind of mad that they killed off Dewey because he's fucking unkillable, and they did it, and I was kind of upset about that. <laughs> I think that's another reason why I had a bad taste in my mouth about Scream 5, like to kill that but particular that's... legacy character. But that's why you do it. You know, I, for you know me, you know, my feelings on Dewey were he should have died mm-hmm. in Scream 2. And now you gave us yeah. that information last week about how that was the intention until they decided yeah. we're going to kill Randy, and that was the one legacy that they went. But, you know, I felt I would have rather Dewey's death in Scream 2 because of how absolutely effective it was. You get It's one of those things that I remember watching that in the theater sitting there and just yeah. that, 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 that feeling that only happens when you're in a movie, in a movie theater. Oh, yeah. That feeling Yo, when you know you're so attached and so in the film and those characters mean so much to you that you're like, and, and at that time, obviously Scream did, you know, it was like, holy shit, they're fucking killing Dewey. And, you know, he's up against that glass, and there was just so much, just so much violence happening. And it's funny. I watch it now. And oh, I'm yeah. like, wow, it really was nowhere, it was nowhere near as violent as I kind of, like, have made it <laughs> no. in my mind, which is it's great. Because, you know, what that proves, that proves the Friday the 13th effect is still actually quite effective. You know, what your brain fills in is just so much better than what they show you sometimes. Um, so, so, again, in my head, like, I, I saw this murder sequence that was like, Dude, that guy's done. Holy shit, you know, and that just put a it put a damper. It put a a cast a fucking gray veil over the rest of that movie. <laughs> Until the fucking end. Yeah. You see his ass roll out on the stretcher and give a fucking thumbs up and he's like, Yeah, I'm okay. And it was like, Man, <laughs> thanks. Now I'm gonna rev- now when I revisit that movie, that's all I think is that, that death occurs and it doesn't fucking mean anything. It doesn't, you know, and, and a lot of people are glad that he came back. But even with Scream Five when he gets stabbed, I'm like, okay, well, he's been stabbed before. Like, he's going to be fine. But then when you see his fucking guts stuff to spill out, I'm like, oh, fuck. I had a feeling like what they, it was one of those where it was just so obvious they were setting the stage for it. And I just knew mm-hmm. that, you know what, we're this far into the franchise. You've got to kill one of the main three. You know, it's got, oh, it's got to be Courtney Cox. Arquette or Sydney, one of those three have to go. Yeah, and I was kind of hoping it would be Nev, it would be Sydney, but you know they they have to save that one because she's got to be on top at the end. So you know it was kind of like a bittersweet thing where it's like you know I, I was so upset that he died, but at the same time, like you said, they have to do it. They have to have stakes. Like they have to kill off a legacy character to really fucking drive that point home. So you know we'll see what what Scream Six does. I know it's going to be in New York, so. You know, they'll probably go the Jason 7 route, you know, and, oh, look, there's Times Square. Then the rest of it's just in the subway. It could be anywhere. Ghostface. Doesn't have to be New York. Ghostface takes Manhattan. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Like I said, I'm still looking forward to it because I do like Ghostface and I do like the Scream franchise, even though Scream 3 is probably the worst of them all, if I had to pick one. Because 4 is good. 4 is not bad. But 3 is just abysmal. Like 3 is like everybody just didn't want to be there. You just didn't like that one character from four, man, who, you know what, again, she can she can talk all she wants, dude. I don't care. She's hot. Who's that? She's so hot. <clears throat> What's her name, man? Uh, Hayden Panettiere. I, can't, I, I, oh, I forget Kirby. her character's name. Yes, Kirby. So hot. 
Yeah, I, <clears throat> I didn't mind the character of Kirby. <laughs> it's just the fact that she was supposed to be like the Randy character. Like she's super hot, you know, she's cute, you know, but she's supposed to be like the horror nerd. But in her home, like she has like 10 movies. <laughs> so I was like, that's not, no, you know, got to give her a shelf. Got to give her a, like a full-blown shelf of horror movies. If you want to have me convinced that she's like the horror guru that just knows all the rules and knows all the movies, and you know, that was just it. Just not the character so much. It was just the, the, the setting, like when you get to her house. And she just has this very small shelf of movies. I was like, there's no way. I mean, I, I no guess, way a horror movie I guess, would have a, a couple. I guess that would be like while watching Honey, if I got really mad that Jessica Alba probably can't really dance like that. But, you know, like, I, I just sure don't care. Could. Maybe. <laughs> I'm sure she could dance like that. I mean, you don't know. She did great in Sin City. <clears throat> she looks great in that movie. Sweaty as fuck, dancing for those little kids. You save that. You save those fucking kids. You save those streets, girl. You just keep on going. I'm just keep. I'm just gonna keep the movie on mute. That's all. That's all. That's all I need to do. All right. So, you know, with all that aside, let's get into my countdown for this year. Which, like I said, Marie came up with the title. She thought a lot about it, so she ended up with Candy Andy's Holiday Horror 2022 Top 10 Movie Countdown. I don't know where she came up with Candy Andy, but I'm not going to say I don't like it. It's kind of fun. <laughs> so thank you, Marie, for the title. <clears throat> and that's going to stick for eternity. It's always going to be Candy Andy's 2023. Oh, a little, so, little Candy Andy, man. It's great. I, I can come up with a couple different reasons why we would call you Candy Andy, but I'm not going to say any of that on the air because I love you, brother. I know, but it's okay because I'm sweet. So she wants to do Candy Andy, and that's fine. Uh, so Whoa. we're going to kick this off and. Of, like a tic-tac. <laughs> Thank you, Marie. Yeah, no, see, like a tic-tac. Go down easy after a meal. That's what she said. <laughs> so let's talk about the top ten. So at number ten, we have Smile, directed by Parker Finn. After witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient, Dr. Rose Cotter starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain. As an overwhelming terror begins taking over her life, Rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive and escape her horrifying new reality. Um, and as number 10, I saw it in the theater. Um, there were obviously some things I saw in the movie where I'm like, okay, this is just ripping off another movie. But it's just the, the constant being chased by a supernatural force and that you can't understand it. It reminded me a lot of It Follows, where Rose Cotter is constantly being confronted by these people that are smiling at her for no apparent reason, and they just want her dead. Um, and the finale was just amazing. I mean, it's predictable. But, again, I just really enjoyed it. So if you want to check out Smile, it's available now in VOD, digital, home media. Definitely check it out. It's one of those movies where you can just put it on, get a bowl of popcorn, and just have a good time. Like, it's not something you really need to take incredibly seriously. So that is number 10 yeah. on my list. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I didn't hate it. I, uh, I did find it to be a little – it reminded me a lot of Truth or Dare um, yes. from a couple yep. years ago. Yep. It also reminded me a lot of uh, fuck. What is it? It's 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 it's, it's Raimi's uh, the one with the fucking gypsy. Drag me to hell. Yes, reminded me of that as well. Which again, like you said, supernatural yeah. force pursuing you. No matter what you do, you're not getting away from it. So yes, you know, it, it was a fun ride. It, I, I could see it being in your top. I'm, I'm a little. I'll be honest. I'm a little surprised. It's in your top ten. It's a mainstream movie. 
um, which, which yeah. is quite popular amongst amongst the, the regulars. So look at look at you branching out. I know it's it's weird. I know, but um, no, I think I just I love the marketing campaigns that they had. Like we talked about on the show, where random people were showing up at baseball games and on news reports, just fucking mm-hmm. smiling at the camera. And I was like, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me want to see this movie, and I'm glad I did because. It is mainstream, you know, but at the same time, it's just fun. Like, it's just one of those movies you can just have a good time with. And the twist at the end was just so great. Like, when you think everything is fine, all of a sudden it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I love when movies do that. You know, when they make you think that everything is fine, we're going to wrap this thing up, and then all of a sudden you get the big surprise, and you're like, okay, I'm with this now. <laughs> like, I'm enjoying this. So I, I hope everybody checks it out because it's, it's a, a little fun. So number nine I gave to Nope directed by Jordan Peele. A man and his sister discover something sinister in the skies above their California horse ranch, while the owner of a nearby theme park tries to profit from the mysterious otherworldly phenomena. Um, I know you have seen this, Ghoul. Um, I saw it in the theater, and I fucking loved it because it was something that I didn't expect. You know, I thought it was going to be like an alien movie, just UFOs and shit, and then it became something completely different, and Stephen Ewan is great as, as June, a Jupe rather, um, some of the sequences when you got, see people getting killed and getting digested, so uncomfortable, so weird, and I just I loved it. Yeah, um, yeah. Nope was it would be if this was my top ten, it would definitely be higher on that list. Uh, Jordan Peele did what Jordan Peele does. He layered a what, what could easily just be seen as a alien invasion creature feature type of film. He layered it with everything from socioeconomic shit to racial issues yeah. to a, yeah, there's just so much stuff in it. I, uh, you know, I recently, if, again, if anybody does actually purchase digital media and shit like that, it's on sale on most of them. I just picked it up for like 10 bucks on my Xbox. Yeah. Um, I just started, I started it the other night with the Google girl. She never saw it. Um, and yeah, you know what? Like within the first few minutes, uh, she realized that, like, it's a heavier movie than she was expecting and was mm-hmm. like, you know what, this is not, she's like, it's too late for me to put this on. We're going to have to do this on another <laughs> night because I want to watch this. So, and, you know, she got it, like, right right off the rip. You know, once once you kind of see what's going on in that opening sequence, you're like, okay, yeah, this is uh, this is something. Yeah, because you just don't know. And, like, Jordan Peele did it really well with the trailer, where he makes you think it's going to be something, and then it becomes something completely different. And I love uh, Daniel Luongo, uh, Kaluuya, rather. Uh, he was in Get Out. And also Kiki Palmer was so fucking good, because she's so funny mm-hmm. and sarcastic throughout the entire fucking movie. Like, she's just so much fun to watch. Um, and then even, like I said, Stephen uh, Yoon as uh, Jupe. You know, he owns this big Wild West-type place. You know, he made his money off of being a kid star. And then he wants to make even more money off of this fucking phenomenon that he finds. And then he quickly realizes that you can't fucking tame it. Like, there's so many different layers, like you had said, Google, to this movie. It's not just one thing. It's like a bunch of different things. Well, it's funny because, you know, ultimately when – like, I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but, like, ultimately the very thing that saved his life the first time around, he tried to exploit, you know. So <laughs> yeah. just goes to show he didn't learn his lesson, you know. It, it's what kept him alive, and yet he still didn't learn that damn lesson. But, yeah, without, no. I don't want to spoil nothing, because if anybody is no. out there they haven't seen it, absolutely go watch Nope. 
dope is well worth the price of admission. It is, and and it's cheap. It's a yuck. Uh, digitally, it's cheap. It'll <laughs> be a yuck for us, dog. Um, so yeah, it's cheap digitally. Uh, I think the DVD is only going for like seventeen bucks, so it's not that expensive. Uh, so check that out on physical media on digital. As we go into number eight, which is Dark Glasses, directed by Dario Argento. Diana, a prostitute who was blinded by a serial killer in a botched attack, takes on a young Chinese boy named Chin, abruptly altering both of their lives forever. So Ileana Pastorelli plays Diana, and she's so beautiful, so stunning in this movie in the role. And then also seeing Ozzy Argento show up as her helper Rita, it was a really nice surprise. Um, this is Argento's return to doing a giallo-type film that he left long ago in the 70s. And is it the best? It's not, but it's really fucking good to see this guy still alive, still wanting to make movies, and returning to what he does best, which is giallos, black love killings, and he does all the kills in black loves in this movie. So he never gave that up. Still wants to do it, even at his old age. I'll put on the gloves, and I'll take a straight razor and kill somebody. So I just I love the fact that Dario is still making movies, and it's on Shutter by the way if you want to watch it. No, well, again, I, I told you that's one that I will check out. You know, I'm uh, a, you know, I'm surprised every time I hear like Dario Gento's name, like yeah, I automatically think, oh yeah, man, the guy's been dead forever, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, <laughs> no, he's not. Um, nope. You know, like I. I will check it out, but you know, like every time I go into any Argento film, I'm always doing it with like, I just always have to temper my expectations for it because it's like, I guess, I guess I want to see, I want to see the genius Argento that everybody talks about. And like, don't get me wrong. I see the use of color and I see all the things that he does with his films, but I also the movies that I'm always constantly like left like less than fully impressed with. Like I want to watch an Argento movie and like walk away and be like, that was one of the films I've ever seen. Yeah. Because that's the kind of like that, that's how people talk of him and that's how they talk of his Mm -hmm. movies. And like, I've still never had that experience yet. So I'm hoping it's going to happen eventually. I mean, I, I might have to take one of his seventies, uh, giallos that we haven't covered on the show yet because for me, and I've said this on the show multiple times, I think his best work was done in the 70s. Like in the 70s when he's young and he's artistic and he's trying things out and he's being violent and he's being brash, I thought that was his best work. And then in the 80s and 90s, he kind of dropped off a little bit and the quality just kind of went down. You know, he just he wasn't creating like he used to. And then in the 2000s, again, he, he did a movie called uh, Giallo with Adrian Brody and then Dracula 3D, and both of those movies were kind of just fails. So... But I still love Argento, and I always will because of his contributions in the 70s. Not so much modern times, but uh, Dark Glasses, he always tries to return to that. Like He tries to give you a return to what he's known for, which is giallo. So you might enjoy it. Um, if anything, you'll just enjoy Ileana Pastorelli's tits because she shows him off a lot, and she is a hot Italian actress. Uh, like, if anything, go enjoy that aspect. Well, I can at least respect uh, Yeah. So I, I think, if anything, you'll enjoy that aspect of it because she is gorgeous. And once you see Azia as Rita, you're going to be like, holy shit, that's Azia Argento? Because she looks so different because he, he deliberately made her look not like herself. So when she shows I had to do a double take. I was like, wait a second, Rita's Azia Argento? Okay. So, oh. But you'll see once you eventually get there. But she's great, you know, and I, I will say that. I've always been a fan of Azia. So check out Dark Glasses, available now on Shudder. 
So number seven, The Black Phone, directed by Scott Derrickson. Fenny Shaw is a shy but clever 13-year-old boy who's being held in a soundproof basement by a sadistic mass killer known as the Grabber. When a disconnected phone on the wall starts to ring, he soon discovers that he can hear the voices of the murderer's previous victims, and they are dead set on making sure that what happened to them doesn't happen to Finney. And this is also available on VOD, on digital, on home media. Uh, I saw it in the theater when it first came out. Um, I love movies that take place in the 70s. I just I love the 70s cinema. I love movies that take place in the 70s. I love the vibe. But Ethan Hawke in this movie as the grabber, as the killer, is so brilliant because he is not heavily used in the movie. He's in it. You definitely see a lot of him, but you don't see too much where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm over this character. Like he plays this character so much on the brim of you think that he's a good guy, but he's also got this evil tendency, and having Thingy kind of play back and forth with him is such a great kind of dichotomy. So that's why I just I fell in love with the black phone. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there at all. You know, Ethan Hawke's performance, and it does. It peters. It walks this fine line of, you know, like, like yeah, is he real? Is, is he just another victim? No. He's just a fucking psycho? No, wait, maybe he's not. You, you sit there going through all these things trying to figure it out as you're, as you're building towards you know, the, the ending of this movie. And, yeah, you know what? I really, really enjoyed, I enjoyed that one very much. And, and it's one that I do look forward to uh, revisiting a, a few times, actually, because I, uh, I really liked it. And I just I loved his look. We had all these different kind of masks that he wore. You know, some of them would cover his entire face. Some of them would only cover the bottom of his face. The entire time that he has Finney in the basement, he always makes it seem like, I'm going to let you go. Like, you're just here for a little while, and I'll let you go. It's going to be okay. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do anything to you. Um, I just loved how he had that character. Well, he was never like, I'm going to fucking stab your eyes out, kid. He was never like that. Mm-hmm. He was always so even-toned and like, you're going to be fine. But at the same time, if you try to get out, I will kill you. And that kind of fits Hawk's personality type. You know, like yeah. he, if you watch any of his films over the years, you know, Ethan Hawke has always been one of those. He's an actor that is, like, reliable. He is, mm-hmm. you know, I know for women, he's easy on the eyes. He's a good-looking He's a good looking young man. He's a good-looking older man. He's always got a yeah. very calm demeanor about him. And I like the fact that they're getting to a point now where they're using that calm demeanor as a way to create menace instead of a way to create ease. Um, you know, because, again, he was also the villain in the Moon Knight series this, this year on Disney+. And a, a similar thing in which you have a villain who is not all wild-eyed and violent. He's more methodical, calm, and capable of violence when it's needed, or at least capable of calling upon other people to perpetrate that violence. And that, I feel, is what Ethan Hawke's, like, strength will be as far as playing villainous roles. And also, you know, I have to give credit to Jeremy Davies, who played Finney's dad in the movie. He was so good as this alcoholic son of a bitch, but he really did love his kids, but he just didn't know how to be a good dad without the mom being around. Like, he Mm -hmm. just didn't know what to do, like, you know? So, again, you know, if you act up, he's going to give you a beating. But, you know, he just, that's just the way. But just him constantly being concerned about his son when he disappears is great. Yeah, I mean, listen, he just, 
growing up the way that, you know, I did and I wasn't for, for all the jokes and everything, you know, like, look, I was never a diaphous situation. I wasn't beaten <laughs> to, to near death on, on a regular basis by my parents or by my family. I didn't have to deal with, you know, with heavy-duty alcoholism and all that stuff. You know, were, were there other things that my parents partook upon in the 80s? Of course they did, especially given some of the industry shit that, you know, my, my stepfather was involved with and, and stuff like that. But regardless, yeah. the fact is, you know, when you did wrong during those times, you caught a beating every now and again. And sometimes you didn't have to necessarily do wrong to catch that beating. Sometimes it just had to be a bad day for that parent, you know. Mom got into an oh, argument with Nanny, and, you know, Mom was in a bad mood. I might have said something the wrong way or put something down in the wrong spot, and that garnered a fucking beating, you know. And, and, and it happened, and you know what? We all fucking survived it. We're all still yep. here. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'd say I'm better for it, but whatever, man. You know, you, you fucking move on. You do. You just, you, you know, you kind of deal with it at the time, and then you move on, and you grow up. And you just try to be a better person, you know, in the end, the best that you can. We're all just trying to do the or best least, that we can in this world. Or at least have kids of your own, and then you get to beat the shit out of them. Just kidding. You can't do That's that right. these days. Shit. If you fart, <laughs> if you fart in their direction and it hurts their feelings, they call Child Protective fucking Services on you. You got it on speed dial. They all have cell phones. <laughs> so, mm. unlike us, we didn't quite have those phones. <laughs> um, moving on to number six, it's Deadstream, directed by Joseph and Vanessa Winter, a couple. A disgraced Internet personality known as Sean Ruddy tries to win back its followers by live-streaming himself at an abandoned haunted house. When he accidentally unleashes a vengeful spirit, his comeback event becomes a fight for his life. Uh, this movie is available on Shudder. I had such a fucking great time with Deadstream because it is so funny. It's gory. It's weird. Um, it's a guy that's just trying to get back to who he was before. Like He does all these weird jackass-type stunts, and one stunt got him in trouble. So now he's trying to redeem himself. So he does this whole live stream, and he has people typing in going, you're a fucking loser. He's like, I'm not a loser. Like reacting to people while he's trying to battle these weird monsters that pop up in this house. So it's very much Evil Dead 2. Like that's the vibe. Oh. If you want to watch Deadstream, go into it with an Evil Dead 2 vibe, and you will have a great time. Okay. I will certainly do that. So, yeah. Like, I found myself fucking laughing so much during this movie because he's trying to survive zombies and demons and monsters all the while trying to write back to people online, telling them not to call them stupid. So, and they're all saying it's fake, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I didn't do that. No, you're stupid. <laughs> and trying to type back to them. And it's all, um, you know, it's very kind of Blair Witch with the camera usage. So if you're not, like, uh, you're not a fan of that, you might not enjoy uh, Deadstream. But the comedy alone is worth it. So if you can see past the whole, I have a GoPro and I'm walking around this haunted house, I think you really enjoy it. Um, so with number five, I want to do another Shutter exclusive, VHS 99, directed by Flying Lotus, Joseph Vanessa Winter once again, Maggie Levin, Johan Roberts, and Tyler McIntyre. Witness a hellish version of 1999 and social isolation Analog technology and disturbing home videos fuse into a nightmare of found footage savagery. The segments include Shredding, Suicide Bid, Ozzy's Dungeon, The Gawkers, and To Hell and Back, which is directed by the Deadstream directors, 
Joseph and Vanessa Winter. Um, again, it's an anthology, VHS. I've always talked about in the show how much I love VHS, so as long as they keep making them, I'll keep watching them. It takes place in 1999, so there's a lot of callbacks to, like, early Internet and other things like that. Uh, suicide bid is a great segment because it involves a sorority and how you have to climb into a coffin and be buried alive for the night, and things take a very fucking bad turn for the girl that gets buried alive. Um, and there's also Ozzy's Dungeon, which is like uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple, except it's very fucking gory and very fucking disturbing. So if you love anthology movies and you love like 1999 in that year and you vibe on it, fucking check out VHS 99. You know, it's funny. It's like that's one of those series that I just, I've never gotten around to seeing any of them. Yeah, They're I know. always readily available and I'm always like, hey, you know, I'm going to watch one of these VHS things. And then now I end up watching, you know, something like that. Like I always joke, I watch like fucking Twilight again for like the 15th <laughs> Well, like I said, with VHS, it is very much just a pop a gummy, smoke a joint, you know, get a beer and put it on, like, you know, and just enjoy the segments because they're funny, they're gory, they're weird. You don't have to put any thought into the segments. They're just fun. So that's why I said it's very much a pop a gummy, smoke a joint, have fun. You know, because you're just gonna, you're going to enjoy at least one anthology story out of them, and there's a couple of them. Well, you know, I, one coming out next I year. I think that. Yep. Yeah. I think that's the big problem. My big problem is, is like, I love a good anthology series. Um, growing up, watching The Twilight Zone, Tales from the Dark Side, all of those those short, quick hit horror or horror type suspense thriller, all those little. Things that you would get, and it was like, yeah, 20 minutes long, half hour long, you know. You know, Tales from the Crypt, 45 minutes long, you know, not, nothing that yeah. was too crazy. And I feel like we had this period of time where there were just so many anthologies getting churned out. And you'd get lucky if one of any of them yeah. were any good, let alone let alone mm-hmm. hoping that you get like two out of the three, you know. Like normally you get an anthology, like even Tales from the Dark Side of the movie, you know. Two of the stories are really good, and the other ones are yeah okay. But yeah, like uh, like that's how I always felt about the Mummy. I always felt like the, the Mummy sequence in, in Tales from the Dark Side of the movie was like meh, you know. But like everything oh, else, yeah. I really yep. enjoy with that movie. Um. All right, so you know, if, if you, you've been swearing by it for a while, I'll have to finally bite the bullet. You know what? I've got I've got three days off for the New Year's weekend. We ain't doing shit. We're gonna be at home. We're not partying. I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna watch your fucking movie list, man. Well, there you go. And I really do hope that you enjoy VHS '99. You know, it's a kind of just throwback, relax type of movie. Um, yeah, and tell us in the dark side of the movie. I'm not a fan of that movie at all. Like, I prefer the series. I prefer the TV show. Um, I think, if anything, the the one with James Remar and uh, the Gargoyles. I think that was the only oh, one I, I actually enjoyed. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. a big fan it of that be, one. Man. Yeah. I, well, I loved, I loved Ray Dawn Chong as a kid, too, man. She was just so hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or uh, uh, The Cat with uh, David Johansson. I thought that was a, a fun one. Yeah, but the Mummy one was yeah, just, just boring. And, Bu- and Buster Poindexter. You know, like, that was right. a lot of yeah. fun, man. Yep. As the hitman. Yeah, and just, you know, seeing this fucking black cat, you know, run around the house. And, yeah, so the New York Dolls, too. He was, of course, a New York Dolls punk band from the 70s. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that one. And then, like, yeah, the mummy was so passable. And then the wraparound story with uh, Debbie Harry, and she's like a witch. I'm like, yeah, that's all right. 
you know, it's Sorry, fine, what, you know, but one of the Lawrence brothers. Yeah, one of them, Matthew Lawrence, or one of them, not Joey, but it was probably like Matthew. Um, well, but yeah, I as a whole, was it Matthew? Maybe. One of, yeah, it definitely wasn't Joey, but it could have been Matthew. Um, there's another one, isn't there? Like Andrew Lawrence, I think there's another one. Yes, there is. There is. I think you're right. I think there's Andy, Andrew Lawrence, Matthew Lawrence, and Joey Lawrence. I'm, pre- I'm almost oh, positive it's right. Matthew. No, none of them are working anymore, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> I That's seen not true. What? Are they still working? Because I haven't seen Joey oh. Lawrence in the longest time. Dude, Joey Lawrence had like a, a fairly hit series with Melissa Joan Hart called Melissa and Joey uh, just a couple really? of years ago. I mean, I don't, yeah, no yeah. <laughs> well, they, they, they put <laughs> them together almost like a who, it was almost a who's the boss esque type of, of setup. Um, oh, OK. And, uh, but, but yeah, I think he, he they, they're still they're still working. You know, you might not see them as they're not teen heartthrobs anymore, you know, but they're, they're all still working. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, the only time I remember seeing Matthew Lawrence is on Boy Meets World. And then I thought after that he just didn't do anything anymore. So I don't know. He might be still out there working hard. You know, Joey and Shit. You're making, sure that, you're making that syndication money, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Getting that dollar fifty check every month. That must be nice. <laughs> um, but continuing with the countdown with number four, I have Studio Six Six Six, directed by B. J. McDonald. The Foo Fighters must move into an Encino mansion steeped in grisly rock and roll history to record their much-anticipated 10th album. Once in the house, Dave Grohl finds himself grappling with supernatural forces that threaten both the completion of the album and the lives of the band members. Now, okay, this movie came out, and this is before Tyler Hawkins, The Torture Death, you know, when he died in real life. Um, but the movie as a whole is so much fun. It's a throwback to the 80s heavy metal movies like Rock and Roll Nightmare and Black Roses, um, they know what this fucking movie is. That's what I love about Studio 666. They know this is fucking silly. They know it's over the top, and they do everything they can to make sure you know that it's stupid. <laughs> it's not intentional. Like, it's intentionally stupid at the same time. You'll find yourself laughing, and there's a lot of good gore in this movie, too. Like, I was surprised by the amount of gore that they threw into this movie um, and that they all could fucking act. I mean, I know Dave Grohl can, but I didn't know about the rest of the band. And also, I didn't realize there were so many fucking people in Foo Fighters. <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> how many members were in the Foo Fighters? Like, I thought it was like Dave Grohl, Pat Smear, and Tyler Hawkins, uh, Taylor Hawkins. But no, there's like two other people. And I was like, oh, wow. There's like, wow, all right. Okay. <laughs> there's so many. I, like, I thought it was like a Nirvana situation where there's like three people. But no, there's like five. Um, but they all really do well. They all have their own personalities. Um, so if you like that type of thing where it's just kind of, again, sit down, grab a joint, grab a gummy, and just watch Dave Grohl turn into like a demon, uh, you're going to like it. And Jenny Ortega also shows up. So if you're a fan of Jenny Ortega, uh, you might like it. But highly recommend checking out Studio 666. I don't mind looking at her. I know I know you're not a fan. I, she, she's too skinny for me, but I just like, you know, I like that pouty face. But yeah, to, yeah. I, I didn't get to see Studio Six Six Six. That was one that it was it was on my list. I wanted to see it. I just never got around to it. Um, and then to, to make me feel even even older and even more like like wow, duh! I said just a couple of years ago, Melissa and Joey actually aired from 2011 to 2014. So, so, so there you have it. So I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Joey Lawrence has been working. I know Matthew's in stuff here and there. I just saw that on uh, 
Yep, uh, on his IMDb, uh, not his IMDb, on his uh, his Wikipedia. But but yeah, I don't I don't know what the brothers are doing. Doesn't really matter. I don't think so. No, I mean I just all I know is that from Boy Meets World, the the actress that played uh, Rachel, who was the redheaded roommate on Boy Meets World, like later on in the episodes, like before it ended, she, uh, she, she's Warden, in porn now. She's in porn now. She is so yeah. heavily in the porn, and she's enjoying the hell. And she's got a great body. Like I've seen a couple of her scenes, and I'm like, wow. But I can't help but get past the Boy Meets World thing. I'm like, <laughs> every time I see her, I'm like, that's Rachel from Boy Meets World. And she's getting rammed by two black guys. Like, this is weird. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> yes, she, uh, she started in like 20, it was, it was a big thing in 2019. I mean, she's been, I mean, here, here's the thing you got to remember, you know, like in the porn industry, a lot of, a lot of scenes get filmed over a short period of time and then they get stretched and repeated and edited and stretched and repeated and, and edited stretched. again. Just, yeah, well, you know, to, to make it look <laughs> like somebody might have, uh, have done a lot more work than, than, than one has, but no, look, she took her, she hadn't been in like any kind of like movies or anything for years, you know, I think uh, when, when you look at her like Wikipedia or whatever, I think it was like 2007 was the last time she was in like a regular movie or, or show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, in 2019, she, she decided to get into some, some adult play stuff. And you know what? Look, it's, it's obviously been quite successful. I, I wish nothing but the best for her. Um, I don't think I've watched yeah. any scenes with her. Uh, she's not necessarily my type uh, in looks or, or, yeah, I mean, in looks, really, more than anything else. Uh, but but whatever. More power to you, man. Fuck, fuck away and make that money. And why couldn't Danielle Fischel get in the porn? I'd be so much happier. <laughs> like, finally having all those dreams fulfilled. Topanga does porn. No, no, she didn't quite get there, but... Yeah, I've seen a couple of the Maitland Ward scenes, and yeah, she's hot in her own little way. I mean, you know, I love redheads, so it wasn't that big of a stretch, literally, for me to be like, all right, I like it. But it's just so weird because you're like, you weren't Boy Meets World, and now you're getting cum on your face. Like, it's just so weird. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm not face watching you in ABC. Yeah, but at least she's enjoying herself. I know she wrote a book. She's done a ton of movies. So at least she's enjoying herself and just kind of vibing. Yeah, that's the most important thing. It's not like she was thrown into the industry and she's like, I hate it here. No, loves it. You know, so that's the most important thing, um, that she's just enjoying what she's doing. Um, yeah, listen, if she's having, like I said, if she's having fun with it and she's enjoying it, then then go for it, you know? I know uh, Danielle Fischel was in The Mad Singer this past season. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if she was one of the singers. I think she just might have been there. Uh, I, I don't know mm-hmm. for what. Um, I know she directs some shit here and there too, and I don't know. She's just she's just living her, her life. I yeah, I I, listen, I had the biggest crush on that girl, so so yeah, I would I would certainly not mind watching it. But then at the same time, it probably would ruin it for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I think, but that's the panga though. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, probably it would be weird. Um, I know that she does a podcast with uh, uh, Ryder Strong and Will Friedle, and it's called uh, Pod Meets World. And they just cover every episode of Boy Meets World and talk about what it was like to be on that show. It's kind of fun. You know, I mean, I've, I've kind of fallen back on that, and I've gone on other podcasts. But, you know, if you want the behind-the-scenes look into what that show was like, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. So at least she's enjoying, you know, doing podcasting, directing, whatever. But, you know, Topanga forever. I had a huge crush on her, too, so I get it. Like, I actually wrote her fan letters back in the day, back when you could do that. Boys. 
And I got an autograph. I mean, I got a I got an eight by ten back in the day, so I was kind of happy with that. Oh, that's cute. But it, it wasn't personalized in any way. It just was her and just Daniel Fischel. <laughs> like obviously, <laughs> her agent read the letter and just threw it on the pile. <laughs> Send him an eight by ten. But back in the day when you could actually sure. do that. Um, they, they definitely read the yeah. letter, for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sure she really cared about what I had to say, but I was in love with her and I had a huge crush on her. So she was like, oh, my God, I have to find this guy now. No, never happened. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I just got an 8 by 10 She was sitting around wondering, where, where's Andy G been all these years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To hear her on the, the podcast, podcast how she got a fan letter. <laughs> yeah. We're in the studio next door, Danielle. Come find me. <laughs> but we are now in the top three of my top ten countdown. So we're going to go to number three, which is Pearl, directed by Ty West. This is the prequel to X, and we're going to get on with that in a little bit. But trapped in an isolated farm, Pearl must tend to her ailing father under the watch of her mother. Lusting for the glamorous life she's seen in movies, Pearl's temptations and repressions collide together in an ultimate finale. Um, so X came out first at the beginning of the year, and then Pearl came out during the summer. Um, it was a prequel to X, and Mia Goth is just so amazing in Pearl, playing the younger version of herself, having all these big dreams of going to Hollywood, of being a dancer, of being an actress, all the while dealing with her oppressive mother and her ailing father. Um, it's, again, a slow burn movie, so if you're not a big fan of slow burns, you might not like Pearl, but it has a finale that you just have to see. Like, the monologue that she gives, the, the gore that's in the movie, it's well fucking earned. And that's why I love Ty West, because he makes you fucking work for it. He's not going to give it to you right away. Like, you're going to have to sit and watch this story unfold, but then he'll give it to you. You know, he'll get you to come, but you just have to wait. So I definitely recommend Pearl, which is on, you know, digital, it's on home media. Um, so well worth it. I know you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I think you'll like it. Oh, I, I have no doubt. You know, and again, I'm not, you know, surprisingly, as much as I do like thrillers and stuff like that, I'm not always the biggest fan of the slow burn because a lot of times I feel let down by uh, by, by what gets yeah. delivered at the end. But that is yet mm-hmm. to happen with Ty West. Um, he is yeah. one of the few directors in that, that work within that type of film that I, I really just enjoy the hell out of it. And I like the, the way he me. films it. <laughs> I like how it makes some body feel. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the way he, he films it, it's so technicolor. Like, it's so bright and vibrant. Kind of like Wizard of Oz type colors. And I know that Martin Scorsese said that he fucking loved Pearl. You know, he's just like, I, I was mm-hmm. frightened by it. I was scared by it. But it was beautifully shot because he wanted to do the complete opposite of what he did previously with X. He wanted to give you this kind of grandeur 30s type movie. Um, and just everything works. And... If you can make it to the end of the movie, he pays it off. Like, he really gives you a payoff. And there's a sequence during the credits you just have to watch. Like, you just – you will be impressed by what Mia Goth can do, you know, because that end credit sequence, I still can't believe what she did. And it's a simple thing, and I'm not going to spoil it, but once you see it, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, that, that was pretty fucking wild. Um, so we'll move on to number two, which is Hellraiser, directed by David Bruckner. A young woman must confront the sadistic supernatural forces behind an enigmatic puzzle, which is responsible for her brother's disappearance. And we're talking about, of course, the Lemarchand configuration, 
the puzzle box, which brings about Pinhead and all the Cenobites. And why I, you know what? A lot of people didn't like this movie. It's on Hulu if you want to watch it. A lot of people didn't like it because, again, it's not Doug Bradley playing Pinhead. Um, it's a female actress, which is a trans actress, Jamie Clayton. Um, it's different. It's not the black leather Cenobites that you're used to. Um, but I fell in love with this movie because I thought that Jamie Clayton did such a great job as the Hell Priest. And I love the different look of the Cenobites. Uh, the main actress being a former heroin addict trying to deal with the Cenobites and the puzzle box and trying to find out where her brother went all the while dealing with this guy who wants to figure out how he could get to that next level, get both pleasure and pain from the Cenobites. Uh, I just thought the story really worked. I thought the blood and the ghoul was really well done. Uh, I, overall, it just impressed me. And I know you saw this too, Ghoul, so I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, look, I, uh, I really enjoyed the new Hellraiser. I wasn't let I wasn't let down by it at all. Um, you know, especially when you know, I have a deep appreciation for the first two Hellraiser films. I love mm-hmm. those two movies. Um, and yeah. you know, I go back and forth all the time as to which one of those two I prefer. Um, you know, some days I'm like, oh, yeah, the sequel is so much better than the first one. And then other times I'm like, nah, but you couldn't have that without that and that whole argument, you know, uh, chicken and the, and the egg type of shit. Uh, yeah. And I know mm-hmm. Hellraiser 3 is somewhat of a guilty pleasure just because it's got that, like, it's one of the few early 90s slasher films that, I mean, Hellraiser wasn't a slasher film, but they made one. Anyway. No. Uh, every sequel after that, you know, was just a diminishing return. And as they, they delved into, you know, straight to, to DVD and then straight to, to VOD types of releases, they just got worse and worse and worse. Now, you know, there was a couple bright spots here and there, and I, I like the return of Crispy Cotton, um, shit like yeah. that. This movie at least felt like they were trying to give us something original that still stayed true to the original's concept. The idea of what these puzzle boxes are for and how they dive into the psyche and the the traumas and the problems that we have as human beings. You know, Uncle Frank was a sick motherfucker and that's what Mm -hmm. led everything that happened in that first Hellraiser down the path it went. You know, and we see that in, in this movie in Touches. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I would have this as like, you know, anywhere near as high as number two on a list for myself, but it was a, it was an enjoyable ride. I did like the design and look and performances of the new Cenobites. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that their skin became their clothes. Like it wasn't like the black leather that we get in the original Hellraiser movies. Their skin actually became their clothes. And the fact that the puzzle box, if you move it around enough, and you get stabbed by that blade that's in the box, everything kind of fades away. And then all of a sudden you're seeing hell. You know, like you're looking at the wall, and all of a sudden it just becomes a hallway. Like, I love the fact that they played with that. You know, this, like, I feel like I'm drugged, and all of a sudden I'm seeing the walls turn, and I'm in this hell hallway for some reason. And there's these Cenobites that want to come after me. Like, I don't know why, but they do. 
Well, it's, uh, it's, it's something. It was uh, it was an interesting way to, to go down that path. And again, I know that, uh, yeah, this, this is one of those movies where some people like it, some people don't. There's all kinds of theories. Some people wonder if the, the hell priest is actually Christy Cotton. Um, hmm. I didn't hear that they, one. Uh, the, there's a number of, uh, of, of ideas and things that they, they could do, uh, but but we don't know. You know, we, we don't know or we won't know. Because uh, I don't know if they're going to do more. You know, I would love it. I would love if they did a sequel uh, to this one and have David Bruckner come back and, and do another one, and we'll see how it goes. Um, they kind of left it open at the end, I think. No spoilers, of course, but I do think they left it open for another one, if there is going to be another one. I know that they have a planned series, too, apparently, that might be coming out next year. Um, if all goes well, who knows? Um, in this day and age, things get canceled pretty quick, um, but we'll see. But I, but I just found it to be when really you're, When you're dealing with hell, there's really no way to close the door. You know, you can put the puzzle box away, but it's always going to turn up again. Mm-hmm. Just like we've seen. And, yes, I, I do think that the original Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 Hellbound are essential viewing. And then part three, let's just have fun. Let's just see what we can do with Cenobites. Like, let's have a TV camera Cenobite. Let's have a CD Cenobite. Let's have twin Cenobites. Like, <laughs> let's just do Gremlins 2. <laughs> you know, it's like the Gremlins 2 of Hellraiser um, to see what we can do with Cenobites. So, all right. Before we get into the movie for tonight, I want to do number one on my top ten list, which is, of course, X, directed by Ty West. So this is the first one. Pearl is a prequel. A group of actors set out to make an adult film in rural Texas under the noses of their reclusive hosts. But when the elderly couple catches their young guests in the act, the cast finds themselves in a desperate fight for their lives. So again, available on digital, VOD, and physical media. Um, Fucking love X so much because it's right in my wheelhouse of 70s porn, Texas Chainsaw-inspired you have this old couple that are just twisted and nightmarish. There's also a Touch of Satan vibes, which is also a movie from the 70s that I recommend. Um, but everything across the board worked. Brittany Snow was great in it. I'm not a big fan of uh, Jenny Ortega, but she was great. And, of course, Mia Goth as Maxine. I'm a fucking sex symbol. I, just, I fucking love every <laughs> second of X. And her just not being afraid of who they were. They have that great scene where – Jenny Ortega's character is like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. This is kind of gross. And they're like, yeah, but we're all perverts. <laughs> we're all fucking weirdos. People want to watch us fuck on film, and we're going to give it to them. Like, you know, it's just, it, it was, the dialogue was so great. The goal was fucking fantastic. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about X. But what did you think about it, Cole? Yeah, no, like I said it earlier, man, it's definitely like the highlight horror film for me this year. Um, yeah. Again, you're you're marrying two things that I love more than anything, you know, and that's horror movies and porn. So, yeah, yep, I, I, I'm in it to win it. Yeah, it. It's just from start to finish, it was one of those movies where from start to finish, I was happy with it. There was never a part in X where I'm like, okay, this is boring. Like, they could move on. Because, of course, Ty West, he's known for his slow burns, but you earn everything in this movie. Like, he builds the story. He builds and builds until you get to that third act and everything goes fucking wrong. And it just is solid. Like, so the kills yeah, are great. The acting is great. Hmm? Everything leading up to it, though, is just phenomenal to watch anyway. There's never a boring moment. You know, some slow burns, 
you know, you call them a slow burn because it's going to take its time. It's going to build character. And sometimes that's not entertaining. Sometimes that's not fun, you know. Sometimes it's not even fucking interesting. But at least when you get to that final part, you're like, oh, okay, well, now I know why I went through all this. With this movie, you're entertained from the very beginning to the very end. Everybody is great. And, yeah, it's, it's a good time. It's almost It's almost one of those where... If it just stayed true to its Boogie Nights-esque type of film and didn't go the horror route, I still probably would have walked away somewhat happy. Yeah, and, and especially the soundtrack, you know, being so 70s and having an end on Dr. Doctor, um, you know, that was fucking so great for Robert Palmer to have it just have that X show up on the screen and then you go to the credits. Um, you know, we talked about Pearl, we talked about X. I know that he has a third film in mind that's going to take place in the 80s called Maxine. Um, so I'm really fucking hoping it comes true. I know it hasn't been made yet. Um, they showed a little bit of the teaser at the end of Pearl. So I'm really hoping that Ty gets to have a chance to make Maxine because I would love to have it just kind of rounded out <clears throat> and have this kind of X trilogy because he, he just knows what we like. <laughs> you know, he's a horror guy, so he knows what we want to see. That he does, you know, and, and, and I would just like, you know, to kind of just like piggyback onto your, your list, which was a very admirable list, I have to say. Um, Thank you. I do, I, do, I do want to piggyback onto it and just give an honorable mention. I, I know you're not a fan of the series, but, you know, I really do find myself, I really, really like Terrifier 2. And, you know, it surprised me how much I've mm-hmm. enjoyed it. I've actually, I've watched it a few times now, and it's... Really, it's a much better fucking movie than the first one. You know, the the ending, it's it weakens just a little bit, but like for the most part, that movie is a good time, and and it, it's it's well worth it. And you know, it's a uh, I, I I always enjoy just like Blair Witch. I always enjoy when you have somebody working their ass off to achieve this level of success, you know, and, and these guys, you know, they, they, they did it. They, they have actually done that, you know, just like I said, with Blair Witch, grassroots type of shit, you're putting out flyers, you're putting out advertising, you're making people think this movie's real. That movie goes on and makes millions of dollars on the tiniest of budgets. Here we have a movie, you know, coming into a flooded market with all kinds of clown shit going on off of an anthology short that you turned into a full-fledged film, which, you mm-hmm. know, again, had some good parts, mostly bad parts, but yet you still trooped on. You got enough of a fan base to generate enough money to, to, to make a second film. And they could have just went bare bones with it. They could have been like, hey, you know what? We've got all this extra money. But our fans like that first movie. Maybe if we just add, like, an extra kill or two, you know, we will still be able to be successful. It's still going to be a, it'll be a sequel to the film. They did not rest on those laurels. They took all of that, and they invested it in all of the right ways. And, and you know what? It, it, was, it damn well paid off for them. So, so more power to them. And, again, I, I'm looking forward to whatever he does next with that. Yeah, and like I've said on the show before as well, I might not be a Terrifier fan. Like, it's not my thing, but I give all the credit in the world to Damien Leone, who wrote it, directed it. You know, he managed to make a short into a feature and then get a sequel from it. He has plans for a third one, and I wish him all the best. I do. 
Like, I hope he gets to make a Terrifier 3. Again, it's not my wheelhouse, but I appreciate independent cinema and independent directors who can make something and make it a success. So while I might not like it, I will show all the support in the world for the guy. I love the fact that he's managed to make something small into something big that everybody loves. That's huge. So, yeah, I mean, I will definitely say that's a good honorable mention. Not something that I would ever want to check out, but <clears throat> I still give credit to where credit's due. I think it's awesome. I'm going to make you watch it. I'm going to make you guys watch it. You know it's coming. I know. You know it's coming. So it's coming down the pike, I know. And I'll watch it, and I might, you know, maybe I'll like it. Maybe I'll think it's better than the first one. I don't know. I just think that he deserves all the credit in the world. Like, I don't hate on the guy at all. Like, I'm, you know, I think that him making a success out of that is fucking awesome. You know, it's a dream come true for a guy to do something like that, you know, with very little money. Um, to make it in the theaters and make a fucking success. Because that movie raked in fucking, I think, like $10 million um, in, its, uh, in its release in theaters. So that's a, that's a success. Um, when he had, like, I think $10,000 to work with, like, very little money. Well, no, I know, I know with this one, I know with this one they, they had substantial, they got money. The first film, they, they only did it on a, on a, on a very cheap budget. But uh, the second one, they... They, they raised a good amount. In a second, I'll I, and you. like I said, that's, and that's awesome. You know, like I said, all credit to the world. 250 k this time around. And, and listen, it brought in 12 million. million. It made 12 million, dude. Come on, $12 million. $250,000 investment. That's <laughs> yeah. fucking bank. Yeah. That's a huge return for an independent slasher. Um, so, again, like, I give him all the credit in the world. I think Damon Leone fucking kicks ass, and I hope he always keeps making movies. They might not be my cup of tea, but I will always support somebody that just fucking wants to create, you know, and that's what he's doing. So, yeah, like I've always said, let's make a third one. Let's make a fourth one. Let's see where it goes. Who knows? Maybe Arctic Run will go into space at some point. <laughs> we don't know. Um, but with that being said, let's get into movies tonight. It is Mad Heidi, directed by Johannes Hartman and Sandro Klopstein. Gould, this is your movie that we're ending the year on, so what's it about? What do you think about it? Well, you know, what better way to end the year than in true 2022 Talking Terror fashion, where this year just seemed to be the year in which we did a lot of uh, – What's, what's, what's the word we, we constantly use? Horror adjacent. Yes, you know, and, and normally, normally I'm, I'm, I know you're the king of horror, but normally I'm the king of horror adjacent. As I sit there and come <laughs> up with all these films that, you know, are just movies that I feel like watching or I feel like making you guys watch. And I'm like, hey, well, you know what? I'm going to fucking pick it anyway. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I feel like this year, I didn't do that too often. I actually tried to really stay no. within within horror, and I think it was really just the Dean and the Monkey who went the most adjacent. And I think even you went they adjacent did. a couple times this this year. Um, yeah, which surprised times. me because you normally normally that you don't at all. Um, I am going to try for 2022 to go completely adjacent free. I want 2022 from at least the ghoul standpoint to be fucking full on horror centric. I am going to dive into some movies that I, I have wanted to see for a long time. Now that being said, okay. this horror adjacent film, because it is that, 
is very much just a grindhouse movie. It is a Swiss exploitation film that, uh, yes, Heidi is mad because her boyfriend, Goat Peter, was killed. And, uh, and, and yes, the Swiss like cheese. And so does their very Swiss leader. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's Mad Heidi. Hijinks ensue. Fighting. Love. No love. Swords. And, and other weapons. Blood. Yay! So, you liked it? <laughs> Didn't like oh, it? I... I, I, I have a kid trying to talk to me at the same time. I'll kick him in his balls in a second. Um, <laughs> did I like it? Uh, yeah, you know what I did? I, I did enjoy – I enjoyed Man Heidi. I, I had fun with this one, man. It was exactly what I thought it was. You know, it's one of the – I came across this as like – you know, I was flipping through the fucking internet somewhere. I was like searching pages to look for something and – I see this ad for it, and I'm like, well, that looks fucking downright terrible. But then I watched the trailer, and the trailer made me giggle. And, you know, when I, I've come to this, this habit where if I find trailers that I find that enjoyable, I actually don't watch the entire trailer anymore. I stop it, and I'm like, you know what? If it shows me everything that I wanted to see, then I'm going to be real bummed out when I watch it in the movie itself. Um, so, so that being said, I'm, I'm glad I did not watch the entirety of the trailer. I think that all the gore in the film was fucking great. You know, was it a lot of digital shit? Yes, it was a lot of digital shit. But they know what they're making. They are making a very not serious, very silly, very, you know, girl power 70s-esque type of exploitation film. This would have fit in with the two Grindhouse movies, like, easily. This would have been one of the trailers in that movie. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I did not have a bad time watching Mad Heidi. I actually liked it um, because, like you had said, it does fit into that Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Grindhouse type movie where you would see a trailer for this and be like, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing that as a feature. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's as a, you know, what I did kind of like about it was that it felt very much like they watched Kill Bill and they also watch Inglorious Bastards, and they're like, let's make a fucking movie. Like, <laughs> it had such a vibe of both of those movies throughout the entirety of, of the movie, where I'm like, I'm not annoyed by this. It's actually kind of fun. It's like they appreciate Quentin Tarantino. They appreciate Grindhouse and Exploitation. I don't know the story of Heidi. Like, apparently, I guess it's a, a story in Switzerland. I know a Pollyanna. I don't know about Heidi. So, I <laughs> I didn't really do any research into Heidi. Um, I just, I, I guess it's a story about Pollyanna and Heidi being good people in, in Switzerland. Did you not do any research into our very Swiss leader? Uh, no, I didn't. So I just, I watched the movie and luckily I found it for five bucks and I gave you the link so you can watch it for even cheaper um, on the website. Um, it's available for nine ninety nine for for a rental forty eight hours. Um, but again, and you know I didn't, I didn't and, like it. And do it. Go ahead. Please, yeah, please finish it, and then I, I, will no, go no, on a, I will go on a rant. So, yes, I will just say it was fun, and I'll get into my narration in just a minute. So go on your rant. Listen, like they ask you, don't pirate this movie. Don't give it away for free. This, similar right. to, to what we were saying about Terrifier, this is very much an independent film. 
you know, it's it's you go on a website, you're gonna pay ten dollars, or if you use the the be disgusting, you know, pay code, discount code, you're gonna get it for five bucks, forty eight hours, five dollars, and it's fucking worth the ride, and you're gonna help these it people is. make more movies, you know, you're gonna yep. and, and there's merch, there's all kinds of shit. I've already like, oh yeah, that. I'm probably gonna get the one poster, um, at least I, I dig the. Uh, the exploitation looking poster, you know, it's got that like old oh, 75 yeah. to it. And mm-hmm. I love t-shirts. So I'll probably end up getting one of those too. But, uh, but yeah, now just, just don't, don't fucking pirate this shit. You know, like if nope. enough people, I guess, get it, they'll probably eventually put it on a streaming service, but that means that mm-hmm. streaming service paid for the rights for it. So to help them fucking make money and make it the right way. Yeah. I, I, I pretty agree with you. And there's a hat on that uh, site that I actually might get. Because I'm on a t-shirt guy, you know, but I love that there was a Matt Heidi hat. So I think I might pick that up eventually. Um, so with Matt Heidi, we open up in Switzerland, and we see a protest in front of Miley's Cheese Factory. The people are pissed about the new president, but that's when Swiss Nazis show up, and the protesters get taken out in a hail of bullets. A man and a woman manage to survive, but not for long, as a mustachioed uniformed man known as Kinor pulls out a gun and shoots the woman. Via the credits, we see that Miley has become the president of Switzerland and has taken over in a military-style fashion, turning Switzerland into a weird version of Germany during World War II. Apparently, on Miley's cheese is allowed in Switzerland, and we see soldiers burning crates of illegal cheese, and we notice that only Miley's cheese can be eaten. So then we cut to 20 years later. Heidi has just gotten done getting that dick from her boyfriend, but he has to go. She wants more sex, but he's got places to go, baby girl. And that's when we know that this guy is Goat Peter. He has things to do. And that's when we see him head out to tend to the goats as Heidi is called in by her grandfather. He tells her that Peter is trouble and to stay away from him before she gets hurt. But she likes him a lot. Heidi is all about her grandfather not wanting to see him. And she just says, you know what, I'm going to leave. And that's when grandfather decides to take a shot of vodka as he looks at an old family photo hanging on the wall. And then we cut back to go Peter pimping it out, walking down the street, set to a bunch of funky music in the 70s, making his way down in a fur coat to a barn, where he meets a man and his goons, presenting the man with a block of goat cheese. The man likes the goat cheese Peter has brought and gives him a fat stack of cash, y'all. After all, happy goats make happy cheese. And that's when we cut to a message from our friends. That's right. So then we cut to a message. Yeah, go ahead, Justin. Uh, I just have to say, you know, like, you have this opening and everything, you know, besides, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the Nazi, you know, stuff in there. I mean, this this is all throwback to a lot of those 70s exploitation films that kind oh, of all played on these people for the Alternate vibe, you know what I mean? Like, this yep. is, mm-hmm. it, it's very much like Fear and Loathing says, you know, what if the Nazis won the war? Well, this is the kind of shit they like to play around with. You know, yep. in this in this mm-hmm. case, in a very silly way, the cheese is very representative uh, of propaganda of books. You yes. know, they're burning the cheese yep. literally, just like you know the, the Nazis burn fucking books, man. So the the humor is just it's great. But yeah, but Goat Peter, okay, Goat Peter is one of the greatest creations as far as what I've seen <laughs> in movies this year. And God, if we it. did not get enough of Goat fucking Peter. Okay, because I wanted Peter, so much more. You know, 
when, when the grandfather's talking about, oh, well, you know, like, you don't know this, that, and they cut to go Peter walking down the street, like you said, like a pimp, I'm thinking, oh, this fucking guy's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. And, like, I saw in the trailer what happens to Go Peter. What I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. was that Go Peter was just dealing in illegal goat cheese. I was waiting for him <laughs> to have, like, a fucking a brothel. Like, that's why the grandfather was so against him, you know? Because he really wasn't a nice guy. Like, he was doing bad shit. I didn't think that Miley's crew, Miley's crew was going to kill him for, for him doing bad shit. I figured they were going to kill him for fucking them over. But... The fact that he is a good guy just selling goat cheese because, like you said, happy goats make happy cheese. Well, you know, come on now. I'm, I'm enjoying this happy cheese they're giving us. <laughs> so we cut to a message from our very Swiss leader, played by Casper Van Dien, Herman Milley. Today's topic is nutrition and patriotism. Eating Miley cheese is good. Lactose intolerance, however, is a threat from within and must be stopped. If you observe anyone acting suspiciously, lactose intolerant, call 1-800-LACTOSE and do your part. Keep Switzerland strong and free of lactose intolerance. And I just, I just love the PSA. <laughs> lactose intolerance, people. You have to watch them. And if you see that they don't like cheese, you've got to report them, and then the Nazis will come in and take them away. It was brilliant. Yes. I mean, it was so much And they're going to put them in very friendly camps, you know? Fucking, it's... <laughs> It's really great satire, you know, and and it's fun, you know. It's done in a way that, so again, the idea is it's an exploitation film, so it's exploiting certain things, but it's doing oh, yeah. it without insulting them, which is mm-hmm. nice. That's a fun balance. You don't see that all it that is. often. You know, a lot of these, these movies no. that, like, I, I forget what we watched a couple of weeks ago that uh, maybe it was, like, just the last movie Dave picked. Whatever I said was, like, it was an exploitation type of film. But, like, at times, it just it feels like it's trying too hard to be that. Whereas this just kind of flows naturally. It really does. Like, it's so well done. And that's what I liked about it. Like, it's not trying to desperately be an exploitation movie. It just knows what they are, and it's playing on all the things that make exploitation great. Um, so we see President Miley in a red Swiss Speedo and kimono, as he comments that he looks fantastic in the message that he just played. He thanks his PR man, Gutzweiler, but thinks that the message needed more sexy girls. Gutzweiler tells him that the French are ready to agree to export terms before a man runs in to interrupt, but we hear Miley's watch alarm go off, and a topless woman enters the room with a tray of chocolate where she proceeds to shape flakes <laughs> on the gold of the And just standing there all the time, spraying that, and then she feeds it to him, and then it turns out that the man was a minute and 52 seconds late. Miley has his dragged out immediately and executed. So the man's killed. <laughs> fucking immediately. Oh, you were a minute and 52 seconds late? That's no good for me. And has him fucking executed. So we find out that the French are planning on sending food inspectors to check out Miley's cheese, which doesn't sit well with Miley. Oh, and by the way, how's the Ultra Swiss thing going? Really good. So apparently Miley plans on taking over France and then the world. So he's the ultimate dictator who wants to take over the world with his cheese. So we cut back to Junor, the guy earlier that killed the woman, and he's torturing the man that bought the goat cheese from Goat Peter. And he's asking him all these questions about where did you get the cheese from, where did you get it, why do you have it. So that's when a man in a chef apron enters and proceeds to pour fondant hot cheese all over the tortured man's face. 
The man begs for no more cheese uh, as he is lactose like intolerant. Like waterboarding <laughs> style, man. Waterboarding. <laughs> he fucking waterboarded the dude with fucking fun, too. <laughs> so he eventually says, I can have no more cheese because I'm lactose intolerant. Of course you are, you foreign fuck. But he gives up the fact that Goat Peter is the one that gave him the cheese. <laughs> so Kanor ends up killing him by shoving a Toblerone bar down his throat. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. Like, I just I couldn't stop laughing. I had to rewind it because I couldn't believe that it was a fucking block of fucking chocolate shoved down his throat to kill him. So that's when we later see Goat Peter arriving and taking Heidi for a ride on his motorcycle. They arrive in a village and share a kiss. Peter leaves her by his motorcycle as he checks out some wanted posters for lactose intolerant people. Quickly, Peter is grabbed by the militia. Kenor is able to identify Peter thanks to a crudely drawn picture with crayon of a man in blackface. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how he figured out what what Goat Peter looked like was this fucking blackface cartoon drawing. <laughs> Well, that's got to be him. <laughs> so Kenor announces to the villagers that Peter is a traitor for making his own cheese and he's going to be made an example of as Kenor grabs a crossbow and blows off Peter's head. And I love the yeah, fact this... that that's how crossbows work in this universe. <laughs> it's just yeah, not well, I mean, not only is it a crossbow, it's a, well, it's a crossbow if you notice that the arrow is like a Rambo-style grenade-tipped arrow, too, you know, so... It's like it's got special bolts on it, and it's uh, and yeah, there's, there's no there's no questioning, Goat Peter, there's no trial, there's no nothing. The man is nope. put down on his knees, and his head is blown clean open. <laughs> Made an example of him from the villagers, which causes Heidi to scream and then run back home, all by way of being chased by Kenor and his goons. She finally makes it back home. And that's when Grandpa is upstairs in the house, and he grabs a rifle and manages to shoot one of the militia. But the militia man shoots back, exploding the house and potentially killing Grandfather as Heidi is dragged away, kicking and screaming into a transport van, where she is handcuffed beside another girl that says the escape is pointless. This girl's name is Clara, as we find out. The girls arrive at the Department of Corrections, headed by Fraulein Rottweiler, she isn't impressed with Heidi, but Kenora thinks that Miley will love her. Rottweiler tells the girls that they are now property of the fatherland. Welcome to Camp Alpenblick. And that's when we see the girls are hosed down and given uniforms before being checked for lactose intolerance. A female prisoner is given cheese by chief cheese scientist Dr. Schwitzengebel, and she immediately falls to the floor, foaming at the mouth, clearly lactose intolerant. Heidi is having none of this, and when she's fed the cheese, she spits it out, but she's forced to eat more. And that's when we cut to buff women arm wrestling in a cell that Heidi and Clara are pushed into. The blonde inmate Flora is excited for the fresh meat. (laughs) As she introduces her fellow inmate Rosie, that night Heidi promises Peter that she's going to make them all pay. And, yes, they are fucking buff fucking Swiss women. Oh, and they have the deep voices, and they are fucking Baba. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) I love Flora. <laughs> they God are damn. Uh, they are a lot of fun. Yes, yes. You know, you know who doesn't get enough fucking who doesn't get enough screen time in this movie. And I don't even remember if she gets any kind of like comeuppance or anything. Lutz, we needed more Lutz. Lutz, yes, I love Lutz. She was so hot. 
I love Lutz. Oh, my God. Because we're getting Lutz. God, when she's just in the entire movie, I'm like, I love Lutz. Like, that's my favorite character. Like, her and the little shorts and the boots and just her confidence the entire time. Um, But anyway, Clara is scared, but Heidi is focused on getting him out of prison. The next day, Rottweiler talks about the Schwiggen, Alpine wrestling, the national (laughs) sport. She then has a woman, as we talked about, Lutz. She steps forward, and she's going to teach the new inmates the basics. Clara is instructed to go into the ring, and we find out that the curse is the most common and used move. Clara then proceeds to get her fucking ass kicked by buff female inmate Flora. Heidi tries to stop this, but ends up getting picked to be next, facing off against Laura from earlier. The next move is the Weiberhog. It's a spectacular swing. Heidi is immediately swung onto the ground, and her face is pushed into the sand, and then later into a toilet by Flora. As we find out, this is a fun activity that Flora likes to do with Heidi, and just giving her a fucking swirly. Good. I mean, come on now. Who, who doesn't like, like to give a good swirly every now and again? <laughs> I love it. Once we get to the montage now, later. Now, um, well, so, so, so yeah, now, no. now here, here's a question. Here's a question. I know I personally, I've seen these in movies, you know, tons of times. Now, A, and you can be honest here, this is a safe, it's a safe place. Have you either been the victim of or the per- perpetrator, you know, doing it to somebody, have given or taken a swirly before? Uh, both. Really? Yes, I've done wow. both. Okay. I've been the victim and also the perpetrator. <laughs> yeah. In middle school, I got it. In high school, I gave it. So, yes, I know very much about swirlies and how they work. So, they're not fun to get, but they're fun to give. In all my years, I don't think I, uh, well, I know for a fact I've never had my uh, my head stuck in a bowl. And, you know, I, I would rather beat somebody up than ever do something like that to a person. Just because, you know what, toilet bowls are gross, man. And I don't want to put anybody's face near shit. Yeah, no, it, it's fucking disgusting. And, yeah, I had gotten it in, high, in middle school. And then in high school, I got to give one to somebody, and it was fucking so reassuring. Like, yeah, man, been there before, but yeah, when you get into a fight and that's the only thing you can do in a bathroom, you make them pay. You know what? I've never fought in the bathroom, so you know there probably is a good chance that 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 could occur if that was to happen. So there you go. All right. Well, so we'll move on. on uh, so a guard shows up and tells Rosie, Clara, and Flora to leave the cell. Heidi is left alone, and Rottweiler rushes into the cell, dries off Heidi's face with her sleeve, before putting a necklace around her neck made of twine and a triangular cardboard cheese wedge that says, it smells so much better now. And that's when Rottweiler then announces President Melly is entering the cell, but he has to make sure that the red carpet is put down. Miley is impressed with Heidi, and he wants her to be the main attraction at the upcoming swing fest as we cut to a montage of prison life, shitty food, Heidi being dunked into the toilet, and a lot of fucking wrestling. <laughs> and who doesn't appreciate a motherfucking montage? I love them. So we get one here. And then one night at mealtime, Heidi refuses to eat the cheese, swearing she will never end up like one of the buff women inmates, which causes Flora to grab Heidi by the throat and shove her against the wall. Heidi fights back but gets tased by a guard and winds up in solitary. Rottweiler discovers Heidi's locket of her and Peter and gets pissed that she was able to get it into the prison. Lutz offers Heidi food, but she knocks it away, and the guards, along with Rottweiler, leave. And that's when we cut back to Rottweiler's office, 
where a canoe is acting like a dog, woofing, woof, 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 all on his hands and knees. And Rottweiler decides to reward him by ducking a bratwurst and some mustard and shoving it right up his ass. Because that's a reward. <laughs> Does he like it? Does he it? We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He seems to like it a lot. We don't know. Um, Dude, but that's that was a sequence I was not expecting nor desiring. Nope, not at all. When she dunked it into that fucking mustard, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> don't do what I think you're going to do, but no, she did it. Um, so Lux returns to the solitary cell and eats some cheese in front of Heidi and tells her, I'll see you tomorrow. And then when we find out that Heidi isn't doing too well, she's starving to death, hearing her grandfather's and Peter's voice in her head. And that's when we see grandfather bursting through the ruins of the barn like a phoenix from the ashes as we cut back to Heidi seeing a message carved into the wall, long live the motherland. And that's when she finds a tool of her own. What's she going to do with it? We're going to find out. So Miley is having a meeting with the members of his party, and he's not pleased with them. Dr. Schwitzgebel promises him that the new ultra-switch cheese will be ready in time for Swiss National Day. Miley wants an update on Heidi, to which Kinnor tells him that everything is going well, and Miley gives a toast to world domination. And that's when Kinnor calls Rottweiler and tells her that Miley is getting impatient. Heidi better be in time, ready in time for Swiss National Day. And again, Lutz returns to Heidi and teases her enjoying the fact that she doesn't listen. Let's play some music. It's party time, bitch. I'm like, oh, God, she's so hot. <laughs> when she just dances around Heidi and tasing her the entire time, and that's when Rottweiler enters the cell and tells Lutz to leave. She tells Heidi that she's not as bad as Heidi may think that she is. She cares about all the girls, especially Heidi, but sometimes tough love is necessary. To cheer Heidi up, she gives her back the locket from earlier, but as Rottweiler tries to feed her some cheese, Heidi uses the tool she found and stabs Rottweiler on the neck. Heidi proclaims that she's not a good girl anymore before grabbing Rottweiler's keys and finding her way to Claire in a nearby cell who is just fucking going hard on the fucking plate of cheese. She's cheese crazy. <laughs> well, we find out, too, like, through, through, like, little bits and pieces, you realize that the cheese actually, like, is, uh, it's like, it's, it's like mind control. Something in the yes, cheese yes. that is that like, kind of fucking with the population. Um, it's not like overtly said, other than like what we find out the uh, the other one is for the ultra cheese, the ultra uh, Swiss. Um, but yeah, apparently this is what's going on with Clara here as she's uh, yeah just mindlessly eating the cheese like crazy and and, and just looking a munch away like a big mess. <laughs> So Heidi's like, well, fuck, she's gone. Like, I can't save her. I have to get out myself. So she manages to get out of the prison while they're all on high alert. We have all the guards out with their dogs, and Kenora is there searching for her. And then she finally reaches a point in the forest where there's no place to go. It's a cliff that leads to a waterfall, and Kenora gets his way over to her, and he basically tells her, you know, listen, by the way, I was the one that killed your parents 20 years ago. I could do the same thing for you. You have no choice. You can either come back to the prison or you could choose death. Heidi was having no choice besides to fall backwards down into the waterfall. And Kenora's like, well, she's dead. So that's one problem gone. <laughs> Nobody can survive a fall like that. <laughs> so he's like, fuck it. Why not? So he lets her dive and she falls. So that's when later Kenora tells Miley that Heidi is dead. She killed herself. This pisses off Miley and tells him that they'll deal with it later as a cut back to Heidi, who is still very much alive. She makes her way through the woods and finds herself at a house. 
Inside, she finds some booze, which she drinks, and it causes her to trip a little bit as we see an angelic-like woman appear as she passes out. So then we cut to Schweitzgeibel, and he talks to Miley about the ultra-Swiss cheese. He tells the very Swiss leader that he has increased the lactose proportion of the ultra-Swiss cheese to no less than 88%. With this new formula, they can not only reach peak muscle mass upon short consumption, but also peak cerebral softening, which will result in near total lack of linguistic skills and renders the consumer unconditionally obedient. Miley stares at him and just says, fucking tell me what you mean. I didn't understand any of that. He was like, okay, well, Miley, I'm going to make them dumb as fuck. <laughs> yeah. It will make them dumb as fuck. And he's like, hey, see, you couldn't tell me like that earlier? So they have the guy in the apron from earlier who poured the cheese all over the prisoner, Kari, and they bring him in to eat the cheese, and he finds it delicious. But it turns out it turns him into a deformed, obedient wrecking machine. Kari is instructed to show how strong he is, so he grabs on the Gutweiler and ends up pulling the man's chest open. And despite Miley telling Karen not to do it, Miley doesn't care too much as Kanoa shoots Kari, and he tells Schweitzgabel he has an opening for a PR guy, and you have managed to create the perfect Swiss super soldier because they are obedient and they're fucking zombie-like, and <laughs> you've done it. <laughs> you've done it, Schweitzgabel. This is exactly what I wanted. So he finally has the perfect cheese. Well, um, indeed, you know, he's uh, they, they, he's got an opening. Get it? <laughs> I, you know what? I love I love Casper Van Diem in this role. You know, I know he's so uh, you know, yeah. forever, forever. He's gonna be Rico, and it's gonna be Rico's Roughnecks. But you know, this is one of those where it's like I was happy to see this actor. I was happy to see him just having a fucking blast playing this very silly, very, I hate to even use the word, but very cheesy fucking Swiss president, you know? It was just, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And he is in his absolute glory doing it. He's having so much fun, and that's what I loved about it. Like, you could tell he's having a good time playing this villain. Like, he's not, it's not like it's a forced line or he's just kind of doing it lamely. You know, no, he's having fun. Um, playing Miley. Um, when we meet up with Heidi again at the house, she has taken all the weapons out, but that green gloaked uh, goddess from earlier shows up and she announces that she's Helvetia and she's the goddess of the motherland. You can leave the house anytime you want, but you have to leave the weapons. But of course, Heidi isn't really having that. She has a short fight with two nuns that are at Helvetia's side, and that's when she decides you have vengeance in your heart, and I will train you. So then we cut back to uh, a man and a little person working on a political cartoon that will make Miley's mm-hmm. blood boil. And that's when Heidi's grandfather, Alfoy, bursts into the room. The man is Goat Peter's dad, and the grandfather needs his help to go after Kenor. The guy's all in. Oh, Let's go tear that oh, beautiful baby boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> And then we cut to Heidi, who is now getting trained fucking Kill Bill style. Like, I, I loved it, because I was like, this is so fucking Kill Bill. Like, they just Absolutely. They watched the training. This is volume two. This is volume yeah. two. This is, yes, this is, this is her with the, with the old man, you know, getting trained. And, yeah, the full montage, totally digging it. This, this, this is how, in the 80s, we learned martial arts. <laughs> yeah. And her getting the axe made for herself. You know, the nuns working on the big-ass fucking axe. 
Uh, so with training complete, Heidi puts on a sexy Swiss outfit with armor and is ready to go slay some ass. Kenor, meanwhile, is in Rottweiler's office lamenting her death. Molly enters the office and fucks him a little bit by telling him that he'll never be the woman's prison warden, even though I joke about that. So Kenor presents Miley with two options to replace Heidi for Schwingfest, but Miley isn't impressed. An injured soldier is brought into the room, and he explains that the patrol was attacked. And then he recounts how Heidi ambushed the patrol and killed the soldiers. Heidi left him behind to give them the message, death to the fatherland, Heidi is alive. And that was my fucking Inglorious Bastards moment when they bring in the Nazi soldier that the Inglorious Bastards uh, left to tell Hitler that they were coming for him. And when they carved the swat skin into his forehead. And they're like, yeah, that's what we're going to leave you with for the rest of your life. So it was, again, very Tarantino-inspired, Tarantino and I don't mind. Like, it worked. You know, I, just, I was having a good time with it. Um, so with that being said, Miley now knows that she's alive and it's a problem. So Miley tells Kenora to fix this Heidi problem, and that's when the neutralizer is summoned. We cut to a man behind a desk stamping the word denied on Swiss immigration papers. He runs out of ink, and then we find out at the call that he is a neutralizer, this fat guy with glasses. He apparently has, like, bull armor, and he's going to have to go after Heidi and, and, and get after her. So we cut back to Heidi, who arrives at a checkpoint where she immediately kills all the soldiers at the checkpoint, killing one with his accordion. <laughs> Fucking love the fact that she shoved that accordion into his face and killed him. And she says, that's what I call a swan song. And that's when a neutralizer shows up, decked out in armor, and knocks her out and chains her up into a cell as the celebration kicks off with Miley greeting the French delegates. And he's a later announced by Kenor, who talks to the people about celebrating 20 years of a new order. Clara appears, chugging down an energy drink, and we see Rosie and apparently Flora as well introduced in the open arena. And Heidi's like, wait, you know, Clara, don't go out there. But she's chugging down the energy drink, and she's just fucking flexing no muscle. Like, she has gained no muscle whatsoever, but she is fucking flexing those guns. Mm -hmm. like, yep, yep. I'm, I'm strong. I mean, I'm eating all that cheese. I'm strong. So we have this kind of gladiator-type arena for, for the wrestlers. Um, it's not really uh, wrestling I, I as was, much as like, I was afraid they yeah, were going to go the uh, the ultra cheese role with Clara there. You know that that was my big worry was that they were going to turn her into like a big buff, like just crazy person. You know, like she would be like a zombified, you know, ultra swift person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, instead, you know, she's kind of just normal and chugging down energy drinks. Um, which is fine. Like I just I, I like Clara, um, but Heidi is then unchained as Miley introduces her as the main attraction, a traitor to the fatherland and the rebel spawn. The fight Heidi is brought into will now be carried out only using traditional Swiss weapons. Heidi finds and picks up her axe as Flora swings her own weapon, which misses Heidi and catches Rosie, which kills her. And of course, Rosie being taken out, Flora is not too happy about that. But Heidi tries to tell her. I'm not the enemy. The people are, as we hear chants of faster pussycat, kill, kill. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love it because it's a grindhouse title, Russ Meyer from the 60s, faster pussycat, kill, kill. And I was, oh, these people love grindhouse. So I'm with them. I am with them the entire time. Like I said, I'm having fun. Um, rather than kill Flora, Heidi decides to knock her out and then tells the people to wake the fuck up. 
need to remember how things were before. Instead of just eating cheese and blindly following Miley, she vows to kill Miley as a neutralizer is sent in. And after a brief battle, Heidi manages to get her axe between the neutralizer's legs and castrate him, knocking down some balls onto the ground. As the neutralizer isn't quite dead enough and continues to fight as we see Flora stand up behind him. And that's when Flora decides to help Heidi. She's not really that much help, though, because the neutralizer immediately grabs her and snaps her neck. And then he reveals maces on chains coming from two canisters he had held on his back. Heidi manages to once more get the upper hand and cuts off the neutralizer's head as the crowd cheers her wildly. Realizing that he's fucked, Miley tries to get the French delegates to join him on a factory tour, but they can't leave. They love Heidi. We love her. We want to see what else she can do. And that's when we see Kinor load up his crossbow with a small Swiss flag and shoots Heidi in the chest with it, knocking her to the ground. Kinor confronts her, and he's about to kill her. He gets shot by Heidi's grandfather, as Gopita's father also blows his horn to call in the reinforcements. So now the rebels are coming in, y'all. They're coming in to take out all the soldiers, and that's when we get a huge shootout. The rebels and the Swiss soldiers are battling back and forth. Heidi pulls the flag out of her shoulder, and she grabs a big old twist flag and stabs it through Kenor's chest, announcing, Death to the fatherland! Long live the motherland! <laughs> and the gurgling and everything like that that Kenor does is great. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is, this, is, this is how you want this character to go down. You know, he was a... Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, was, he was quite a shit the entire film, and, uh, <laughs> yep. and yeah, he gets, he gets his just desserts. And let me quickly ask you this. Is this the Swiss Joe Pesci? Because every time I saw him, like, that's fucking Swiss Joe Pesci. <laughs> he looks so much like him. Like, oh, Joe Pesci has a twin, and he's Swiss. Wow. I, you know what? Until you just said that, I did not think it, but now that you've said it, I can't unsee it. Nope. <laughs> yeah, he looks just like Joe Pesci, but he's Swiss. And I kept thinking the entire time, like, it's Swiss Joe Pesci the entire time. Every time he showed up, <laughs> he just had that exact look. Um, but Grandfather and Heidi are reunited, but their work isn't done. Clara, who's had her spine snapped earlier in the first fight in the celebration, tells Heidi that Miley ran into the tunnel as we see the French delegates signing a treaty. Miley sees on the cameras that Heidi and the rebels are coming, so he quickly decides to feed the delegates the ultra-Swiss cheese. Heidi and the rebels arrive at the lab as Miley introduces them to the mother cows. Mother cows, everybody, <laughs> are women strapped down on all fours so that they can be milked. This is the secret to the ultra-Swiss product line, pregnant women that get their milk uh, sucked out of themselves. And... Yeah, when you see it, it's a sight that you can't unsee. These poor fucking women pregnant and being milked with fucking things over their breasts. Like, it's, it's amazing, and I couldn't stop laughing at it. I'm like, oh, God, this is what makes ultra-Swiss cheese? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ultra? Um, yeah, ultra-Swiss cheese. Um, Miley laughs at Heidi for thinking that he could be stopped as the mutant French delegates appear and begin attacking the rebels make short work of the delegates, much to Miley's dismay, as Heidi throws a ninja star at a pipe which sprays steam into Miley's face. He falls to the floor as Heidi jams a hose up his ass and has the milk drain turned on, <laughs> which begins filling him up with milk. He begins vomiting up milk and then soon explodes from the pressure. Again, 
the directors behind Manhattan, thank you so much, because this fucking rule. Seeing him just start to unravel and seeing the flesh appear, then he explodes with all this fucking milk and shit. It's like the best way to fucking kill somebody. Rest in cheese, bitch. Again, classic. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting that to be his end. You know, I kind of had that okay. feeling, like, okay, like, they're going to... They're going to bring him back. There's going to be, like, one more, like, come up. And kind of like how, like, at the end of Ninja Turtles, he comes back as a super shredder, you know? But, uh, right, but no, right. they, uh, they, they, they close it, and, and that's that. And he dies, and it's glorious. It's just so amazing. Um, so Heidi discovers that her grandfather is infected with the Ultra Swiss cheese as he tells his rebels to rig the place to blow. He doesn't want to become one of the mutants, so he'll stay behind and blow up the factory. And that's when we see the factory exploding as Heidi and the rebels do the action cliche of never looking at an explosion as you walk away. Cool guys never look at explosions. <laughs> it's just, I love the action <laughs> Things are fucking exploding, and they're just walking in slow-mo. And you know what? What did it best for me was The Dark Knight and Heath Ledger. As a mm-hmm. joke, walking up the hospital and he, you see it exploding and he's like hell yeah and walking away not looking at it until the one button doesn't work he's like what the fuck and he turns around to look at the explosion he's hitting that fucking button until it works and then he runs off yeah he's slapping it around trying to fucking make it happen nope. and then the fucking thing blows up and then he runs off into the bus I just, it was one of my favorite moments from that fucking movie <laughs> just to see him actually having to turn around and look at the explosion just because the button doesn't work. Um, so as they walk away, we see later Goat Peter's dad tell Heidi that the locket belonged to Goat Peter's mom, and she tells him that she'll always leave it close to her heart. Heidi gives him a quick kiss before jumping onto a motorcycle with Clara and driving away. And then we cut to the daytime where they're waiting for Schwitzgebel to appear in a milk truck, which Clara shoots with a fucking minigun. As we hear the announcer... Heidi and Clara will return in Heidi and Clara. And then we cut the credits. Like, amazing. Like, it's, they have the spirit of Grindhouse and exploitation the entire fucking time. There wasn't any moment in this movie where I'm like, okay, they can move on. Because they were constantly moving on. Like, they never kind of lingered. They're like, we have to go to this next scene now. We have to go back to this. We have to do this. So, like, I, I hope that everybody watches this movie. <laughs> If you like Ryan House exploitation, <laughs> I hope you spend the money on this. Like it's nine ninety nine, guys. Like you can get it for nine ninety nine, and it's a forty eight hour rental. And just enjoy it. It's only an hour and a half. It doesn't feel like that at all. It's just it's a quick fucking movie. Um, just because you know me, I'm a huge fan of exploitation and Grindhouse trash. So this is right up my alley. And, and I like it when it's done correctly. And this is one of those cases in which this was done correctly. You know, it was, it's the intention behind it. You know, when, you, when you're looking to make the movie bad just because, hey, it's funny to make something bad, it doesn't always come across properly. You know, in the case of this, it did. You know, they, they did all the right things. They made all the right jokes. They, they, they exploited all the right tropes and 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 issues of whether it's it's the, the Nazi imagery or or or, or black uh, or Goat Peter's blackface, you know, all of these, these little <laughs> things that just all added up to just great humor 
great fun with very little insult, but just a blast, you know. And, again, gorgeous women, big, beautiful Swiss women, very Swiss, very women, and our most, our most Swiss leader. All hail our most Swiss leader. <laughs> All hail Herman Miley. Um, but, yeah, like, after Grindhouse came out, there was a glut of movies that were trying to be Grindhouse. Like, they would have the scratchy film, they would have the bad dialogue, they would have the action sequences, and he just never quite landed. Um, that's why I give a lot of credit to Robert Rodriguez, who managed to make Machete a character. And then he made a full-length movie, Machete, and then Machete Kills. And both of them are fun. Because I think you have to have a knowledge and an appreciation for Grindhouse and exploitation movies to really fucking make an exploitation movie. Like, you can make a movie and make it silly and make it dumb, but it's not exploitation. Because exploitation movies never set out to be dumb or stupid. It's just how they were. <laughs> they were, you know, over-the-top, weird fucking movies made in the 70s. So that's why I think if you're going to make one, you have to have an appreciation for what came before it. Like, you have to watch those movies and, and see what and, they and, did. And a lot of times it also was, you know, were films with great concepts, but, you know, maybe not perfectly executed. Maybe you didn't have, like, the, the best cameras to work with. Or maybe your cameraman was kind of, like, you know, was kind of shitty. Or, no, maybe you had the greatest crew, but the actors and actresses you had on set were kind of like, eh. But all of that always came through in those true exploitation films. You always could see the potential of what could be there. And, like, I, I just love that that homage is right here because that potential is fully realized, but that's what they were going for. Yeah, they, they knew what they were doing. Like, they obviously had, like I said, a love for exploitation, so they knew exactly what they were going for, and they were going for that audience, like me and you, who know those type of movies, and we're just going to have a fucking great time. We're going to laugh. We're going to see some cool gore. You know, we're going to see it be absurd. But everybody played such a great part. You know, like I said, Casper Van Dien was great as Miley. Like, he knew what part he was playing the entire fucking time. And he never let up. Like, he hit the fucking gas pedal, and he was fucking off. That's Herman Miley. Like, he knew exactly what character he was doing. Um, and that's what I appreciated about it. It didn't feel forced. It wasn't like, all right, I'm watching a movie that's trying to be exploitation. So um, I'm so glad you picked it because I knew we were going to have fun with it. I didn't think we were going to have this much fun. But I just fucking loved it. I'm <laughs> When I started it, I was like, I don't know. But then once I get to halfway through, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm on board. <laughs> they, they've got me. You know, it's, it's hitting all those notes um, of, of what I do appreciate about Grindhouse. So that was Mad Heidi, just released this year. Like we had said, if you go on to MadHeidi.com, you could get that movie for $9.99 um, for a rental of 48 hours. $9.99. If you want to go for a cheaper route, Bloody Disgusting is now offering it with a promo code to get it 50% off so you can get it for 5 bucks using Be Disgusting at checkout. So you can get it for five bucks, five bucks, and you get it for 48 hours, and you can just enjoy it at your leisure. You can pause it. You can go do whatever you want. So that was our last pick for 2022. I'm kind of sad to see the year go. We had a lot going on in horror this year, but I think 2023 is going to be even better. we got a lot going on with horror movies in the following year. But as we kick off the new year, the dean will be joining us once more and we have his film pick of the week to kick off 2023, and he picked the movie Slashback, which is available on Shutter, directed by Nyla Inuksuk. 
uh, I've probably butchered that fucking last name, but uh, that's the best I can do. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about in the new year. Slashback. Once the monkey is back, once the dean's back, the go and I are back, we're going to kick off 2023 in a big way. Um, as we close out, I just want to thank all of you guys that listen uh, and that comment on the Instagram page, that comment on the Facebook page, that like what we're doing, that listen, that appreciate what we do. Um, and, and I just love doing it. I love being here every week with my brothers like you, Ghoul, and talking about horror and talking about movies. And let's just make 2023 the fucking year that Talking Terror is. Let's make it epic. Indeed. Indeed, man. And you know what? To, uh, as, as, my, as I said before, a kid was coming in to tell me something. Uh, apparently, when I said I was going to make uh, the following year not be horror adjacent, I was saying 2022, which is the year we are leaving. So I am looking no. to make 2023 the year that is not horror adjacent. I am going to go for a true horror all throughout 2023. And I can almost guarantee you that it'll probably last one month before I do something stupid to pick some movie like something. I don't know. Elf. Um, <laughs> but, 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 yeah, to, to, to absolutely, you know, just, just to go on top of what you said, man, it's been a great year. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, everybody, that does listen and bear with us and, and deal with us and laugh at our stupid shit. Um, yeah, we, we hope to continue doing it, you know, for, for quite some time. So, so have a happy new year. And, uh, and I will do my typical closeout of just, you know what, stay scared. But be safe out there. Have fun. Drink responsibly. Party your fucking asses off. Happy New Year. And stay scared. I fucking love that, dude. Yes, as always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, saying thank you so much for listening. Let's ring in the new fear of 2023. And let's have some motherfucking fun. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail odorous. I can't wait to see you guys in the new year. Let's make it a fun one. And we'll see you back next month. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.